is the deal with me saying black. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is the second season of The Deal with Nisim Black. And yes, you know, a.k.a. Godsman, a.k.a. Hitler's Worst Nightmare, a.k.a. Yehuda Blackaby. I was born in Seattle to hip-hop parents. I got in trouble as a kid, but I was able to make a major life turnaround. I was a Muslim in my younger years. I became a Christian in my teens, only to discover that my soul was Jewish all along. So I picked up with my wife and my kids and moved to Israel, where I am today. And today, I have a very, very special guest. Little does he know it, but he happens to be one of my favorite people in the world already. Brandon Tatum, or better known as Officer Tatum, is a police officer, former police officer, and a football player who has become a major force in the world of conservative media. Working with Liftable Media and Turning Point USA, he has over 1.6 million subscribers on YouTube, with almost 240 million views on the platform. He also has his own apparel line, as you will see, dedicated to supporting law enforcement officers and American unity. Officer Tatum, thank you so much for joining me today, brother. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, that was uh, incredible to hear that I'm one of your favorites, man. I, I watch you and I'm like, man, this guy's one of the coolest, interesting dudes I know. So I'm, I'm very thankful you you have me on, man. Oh, no, I'm very, very, very happy. And it's like I get to see the whole setup and everything. This is like real time for me. So I'm appreciating this too much, probably too much. First off, where are you located? I want to know, really, because I'm like, I got Arizona in the mix. I, I Some made me think you were in California. I'm just like, I'm all over the place. Where you at right now? Yeah, I've been in a few places. You know, at one point I was... Uh, in California just for like maybe three months and I couldn't handle it. Um, but I'm in Arizona. I've been here for about 15 years. I stay in the Scottsdale area. Um, I love it out here. It's hot, but you know, I, I love the dry heat and you know, I, this is where I call home. Right. Right. So I, I'm also in the dry heat area also to Beit Shemesh, which is actually translated uh, in English as the house of the sun. So this is like, you know, real desert, real desert living over here in Israel, for sure. So my first question is this, because I just feel like I could just be so real with you, right? So we live in a world of lies, just complete lies. And actually, in, in Aramaic, we say, and one of our texts calls it the Alma de Shikra, a false world, right? And these lies, they manifest themselves in many different ways. And one of the biggest lies, and one of the biggest lies that there could possibly ever be is that if we keep pushing our own way and if we have our own agenda, then eventually God will or the God idea will fade. So my question is to you, knowing that you're a man of faith, how much does your faith and your spirituality have what to do with what you're doing in, in, in terms of politics, everything that you do in business and family? And does it define who you are and what you're trying to do? Well, yeah, great question. A hundred percent. I mean, everything that I am today, everything that I will be, everything that I was is associated with Christ. And I mean, that's just the way that I live my life, man. I, I would be lying if I had a, a testimony and it didn't involve God and my relationship and how I got saved, man, because I wasn't always like this. And, and some people cannot even imagine right. who Brandon Tatum used to be. You know, I used to have gold <laughs> teeth in my mouth. I got my hood tattooed on my forearms. I got young savage tattooed across my stomach, man. I had a terrible attitude, man. I fight anybody, anytime getting in trouble. I got kicked out of school. 
uh, you know, I went to, I got arrested when I was eight for smoking weed. Like, I mean, it, it I had a, a pretty different past than people see me today. And then God just changed everything about me, man. I mean, the way I perceive other people, right. the way, you know, my future is, is going forward, how I, I practice my relationship with my wife as a man, you know, all of these different things. Right. I mean, I think that's so critical, especially with what you do, because you put yourself out there on the front line to fight for the things that you believe in socially, the things you believe in politically. And it seems as today with the whole notion of, you know, separation of church and state, some people took that literally. People that are religious took it literally and they don't use, so to speak, their God filter when they show up, whether it's to the ballot or whether they show up to go speak on social issues. How do you keep those two things separate? Are you seeing the same things going on in your community as well? Yeah, I see it every day. You know, people are separating church and state in, in, in their own personal lives and their relationship with God, which is asinine to me. Like there's no separate. I don't care what the government say. There's no separation between me and my savior, there's no separation. Like everything I do is Christ-centered. Every single thing I do, if I'm in political office, the decisions I make on a ballot, the way I treat people in, in my personal life, there is no separation of church and the state. That's to the government. That's not to people as individuals. And if you are an individual working within the government, you should be exercising your own God filter and your own faith. I mean, what, who are you to, to be worshiping a God and to neglect God because of man? I think that that's why the country is going in a negative direction is because people have done that because they don't have a strong enough relationship. When you have a relationship with God, there is nothing that's going to deter you or distract you or cause you to deviate because God is engrafted into who you are. And there's no way you can even do it if you wanted to. Right. So you're, you're playing football in, in Arizona with the hopes to be drafted, right? You finish over there, Arizona. You're, you're ready to go to the NFL and things don't work out. So you joined the police force in Tucson. You know, if I'm wrong at any point, stop me. And you went after that to go work at Liftable Media. And since then, you've had many wonderful things happen in your career that you've actually accomplished yourself, right? There was no system. You went out there and made a name for yourself. The question is, after not going to the NFL, did you feel like a failure? And if yes or no, how did you overcome well, yeah, I, I, right away, I felt like a failure. I was mad at God. It was it was a terrible situation for me. And it was a terrible situation for six years before that. Because when I came out of high school, I was an All-American football player. I was a top player in, in, in the nation. Uh, I ran a 4-3 and a 40. I had a 44-inch vertical leap. I mean, when, when I was a freshman in college, my first year before I ever touched the football field, I mean, I bench-pressed 18 times. I squatted 500-some pounds. I was an incredible, incredible athlete. And this is all verifiable. You can Google, People can look it up. They wrote an article about me. I was an incredible athlete. So you got to think, being the man in high school, having scholarships to almost every university in the country, and then going to college and my career dying, that's how I found God because – my, my freshman and sophomore year, man, I was on the bench, dude. And, and it was it was horrible. It was it was a nightmare, man. I mean, I could I could spend an hour talking about how horrible it was, like he, he being humble to sit on the bench while everybody's playing and you know you're one of the best players on the team. But because of my attitude and some and some things that I didn't get along with the coaches, I was in that position. So, but at the end of my career, five years of me sitting through it. Mm -hmm. I mean, just sucking it up, man, not playing, still working hard every day, never taking a day off. And for me to be in the NFL draft with no film because I was such an incredible athlete that I, I was going to be in a draft. My agent said the Oakland Raiders were going to draft me. They told my agent they were going to draft me in the sixth or seventh round as the only safety in the draft. Draft day come. It was on my birthday and my whole family was there. 
and uh, they passed on me. Wow. It, it was it was not only embarrassing in front of my family, but dude, it was a hit to the gut because I just knew God was going to rescue me from all of that pain and all of the things that mm-hmm. I had prayed about. And he didn't. And I was mad. I mean, I remember ripping my shirt open and being like, you know what, God? Right. You, 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 you let me down, you know, but then I came to my senses, like we all do, you know, like, Hey, just take a step back. You know, God is sovereign over everything and created the heavens and the earth. How dare you worry about football? <laughs> and so I, I, the way I overcame it is I just continued my faith and said, you know what? God is going to take care of me. God has sent some people in my life to mentor me at this time, which was incredible. A guy who was a multimillionaire who gave me great perspective on football, pretty much saying that like, dude, don't, don't this is not the end all be all this is a sport they don't make that much money compared um it's only the big dudes that make money like that so if you think in the money 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 he was like look i'm a i'm a ceo of this major corporation and i make more than the nfl players do for the rest of my life so wow 80 of them go bankrupt so he kind of put it in perspective and i said you know what i still need to continue at the time i had my my, my fiance was pregnant with my son uh, which I don't recommend any young man do get married first. <laughs> right. But anyway, you know, and then I said, I got to get a job. And then that's what led me to the police department. Right. So that leads me to another question, because, you know, I always say I'm not a very political person, meaning that I can't get on and, and give a whole bunch of opinions because I'm not well versed in everything. You certainly are. So how did you go from that and the football thing and then get into politics? How did that even happen? Yeah, so I was growing up, you know, in the in the inner city black community in America. You know, you're a Democrat, man. They, they, you, before you know what a Democrat is, you're a Democrat. Absolutely. <laughs> My family was telling me, you're a Democrat, Democrat for the black people. You know, you don't need to know nothing. Democrat for the black people, the Republicans are racist white people. That's it. Right. And, and so you grow up with that idea, even though you weren't, I wasn't political. I didn't vote. I, I wasn't really politically active. And Barack Obama came around in college and I, I, I didn't vote for him the first time. I actually went to the, well, I was a police officer when I actually voted for him in the second term. But when I was on the police department, my ideas of politics were pressed, mm. right? I, I couldn't just live in this world without actually acknowledging politics, even considering voting or even picking where I stand. Right. And it became very apparent because all of the guys that were on the police department and ga- gals were mostly conservative. Wow. And I believed to be more liberal in my mind. But then people would check me on that. They're like, hey, man, like, you're not a Democrat. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Barack Obama, whatever. And they like, first of all, we'll get to Barack Obama, but like, you believe in God. Like, <laughs> you don't believe in abortion. You believe in, in marriage between a man and a woman. I'm like, yeah. And they like, Democrats don't believe that. That's not what they stand for. And after a while, man, it started eating away at me. And then when the, when Barack Obama started bashing police, that was the end for me. Mm. When he started saying things that was negligent to police officers and people were challenging us in the street because of stuff he was saying, and he was wrong, he never corrected it. Right. And I saw him for who he was, and I said, you know what, screw that, man. I'll never in my life support anybody that don't support men and women who wear the uniform. Right. And that led me to look on the Republican side, which I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And Ben Carson was the guy that stood out to me because he was vocally a Christian, a lot of the things he said made sense. He is one of the most incredible men to ever live. And so I said, man, I, you know, this is exactly what I believe. All the things that Ben Carson is saying is like right. what I believe. And these Democrats are saying stuff that I don't believe. And that, that kind of led me to leaning more right and then voting for Donald Trump inevitably because I went to a rally. And that's a long story. But I ended up voting for Trump and I end up really uh, identifying more with the Republican Party. Right. Right. So how did you and Candace end up starting Blexit? Like, how did that come about? Yeah. Interesting story. When I left the police department, my first year working for Liftable Media, Candace reached out to me on on Twitter and she was like, hey, 
you know, you're a conservative, I'm a conservative. This one, she was rear pill black. Mm-hmm. Like she was not even a big deal at the point. We, you know, we both were kind of like uh, even in that. And she said, hey, let's let's have lunch when I'm in Phoenix. Let's talk. Let's see if, if we vibe enough to com- the, uh, collab. Right. And I said, all right, cool. So we met. Funny story, man. Like, I thought it was just going to be me and her at lunch in Mesa. In, in Mesa, Arizona. And when I showed up, it was her and the whole family. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, I'm like, ah, man, I, you know, but everybody was cool, man. We literally debated. It was like half of the table were conservative, half of the table were liberal. It was respectful, but man, we debated into the restaurant. They had to kick us out of the restaurant. We were, funny. we were having so much fun. <laughs> and that's how me and her got close. And we were like, you know, we were close after that. And then we both worked for Turning Point USA after I left Liftable. And then while we were at Turning Point USA in 2018, she said, man, we need to start something for, you know, the, the young black people to wake people up. Right. Um, and I said, I'm down. And so we started uh, Blexit in 2018, co-founded it, and it's gotten to the point where it's at today. So th- that's amazing that, you know, for my people who never got to see Uncle Tom, by the way, which is like a recommended documentary for any young black person, any black person really, I think is just like, it's amazing. I think Larry put together, Larry Elder, and uh, who else put it together? Justin Malone. Justin also. Beautiful, beautiful film. Um, so a lot of people didn't get to see that. But you are a man who grew up with your father in the house. And and, and you grew up also to with your father being a little tough on you. I'm saying because I also grew up, you know, with my, my father in my life. My biological father now today even is a major life turned around himself. He used to be a big drill, drug dealer and everything like that. He's now today, you would never even know. He's a pastor, theologian, and, and you know, he heads an addiction program for the Young Gospel Mission. He's like really uh, somebody to look up, a real role model, I really think. And and he was he was the one that really actually, actually introduced me to con- conservatism. Like, I was just like you, you know. You and I, I think, I, I, think I, I, may be, I may be older than you by like five months or something like that or whatever. I respect your elders. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm thinking, like, what was it like your father as you start to make this change? How did he feel about it? Did he feel like you were going against something that he stood for? Or how did your family even take to it? Well, they they all they really respect me, you know, because they've seen the evolu- my evolution, you know, when I found Christ. And then also moving forward, when I started changing my political beliefs, they didn't agree with me uh, in a lot of ways, even though, let me let me take that back. They do agree with me in a lot of ways, but they still don't want to admit <laughs> that they are probably Republicans. But they will come to some of my events that I'm speaking at. I've invited them. They've come. They've come to the White House. And so they support me. They say they disagree with me. But in the grand scheme of things, I was talking to my dad just the other night. He was at my house. We were smoking cigars. And he was literally saying everything I say on my videos. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. But still, somehow they they voted for uh, Joe Biden. But but anyway, man, they respect me. I haven't had any pushback from my family. You know, they really love me, respect me. And to be honest, because I'm telling the truth, and they know they raised me. They know I'm not I'm not lying. They know I'm not putting on. And so it's, it affects them in a different way. That's amazing.
I believe that there's a silent majority who value nuclear family, um, who oppose Black Lives Matter rhetoric and all that, critical race theory and all the other poisoning that's going on in the world, right? But when you look at who's pushing this agenda, they control the media, control the education institutions. Are we still in danger because of the amount of control that the people pushing these ideas have? Oh, we're in incredible danger. Because being silent is the biggest problem. It doesn't matter if you're the majority or not. If you're silent and you're not speaking up, you don't have a voice in this fight. And I think that they are sinking their fangs deep in us. You know, it's almost like a boxing match. You on the rings, you didn't got hit in the face. You starting to get date, you know, days, you dizzy. You got to recover, man, or you're going to get knocked out. And like, we have to recover as a nation and start speaking out and start coming out against these things and start standing up for what we really believe and stop getting pressured to not get canceled. Because I honestly feel like most black Americans, they are conservative in these social issues, man. And, and they just don't I agree. understand the history of the Democrat and they get, they get manipulated emotionally. Right. But like, for the most part, black people are conservative, man. I don't know a black person that want taxes to be raised. I don't know a black person that will actually advocate for abortions. I don't know. They, they'll say it's a person's choice, but I won't do it. Right. Most black people I know are super religious, speaking in tongues, running around the church. They go to church every Sunday. We, we were in church every Sunday, even though church wasn't in us. We were in the church every Sunday, no matter what, <laughs> falling asleep in there. We in there. So it's like, I think a lot of black people, if you did a survey, are mostly conservative. They just get pushed into believing that Republicans are racist. Therefore, they don't even give them a look. They don't even listen to the platform. They will never vote. They only vote D right down the, the voting poll. But, you know, I, I really do think that we got to start speaking up, though. We got to start fighting back. We got to start uh, presenting truth and not worried about getting counseled, because if we keep being silent, we're never going to make it anywhere. I agree with you a thousand percent. It's, it's it's a little hard for me also, too, because, you know, for a person like me, you're in the music industry, you're in the entertainment industry. What do you say to people also to who feel like, you know, are there teachers and they're inside, you know, we're seeing p- teachers left and right quit their jobs because of some of the curriculum that's being pushed their way. You know, how do you get somebody to take that leap? You know what I'm saying? Because I put it like this. You, to me, you're a powerhouse. Candace is a powerhouse, right? And I see you wax stronger and stronger. And I always said that the most dangerous thing that a person can possess in this time is an opinion. And it's especially if it's, it's an opinion that differs from the mainstream, right? So, but you are a person who are, who are very opinionated. Were you always that way? And given the social and political climate, at one point, were you also a person who was scared to speak out about these things? Or were you always like, ready, let's go? I mean, Kanye had a nervous breakdown. And, you know, Candace had to put out a video saying, oh, mom, dad, I'm a conservative. You know, like, you know, these yeah. type of things, like, <laughs> People are very scared about these type of things. So I and I hear it over and over again. Yeah. So I've always been like this. I always speak my mind. You know, when I was younger, my mama used to let me cuss and everything. So I used to call people ugly and cuss them out and everything. You know, so my mom used to let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I've always been a very opinionated person. I was very confident that my opinions were my opinions and I don't care what other people think. And that translated all the way through to, to the police department and translated all the way through to me doing politics. I never felt the pressure of being canceled or nothing like that. I mean, a little bit now, you know, talking about COVID or something on your channel can get you banned. Of course, that's a monetary uh, fear that I have. Although, you know, when it comes to me speaking up for myself and saying what I feel, I, I don't have the fear. I do have a little bit of privilege because I'm black, because if I was white, I'd have been canceled a long time ago. My t- my page would have been shunned. I'd have been I'd have been the most racist person in American history. Right. But, I, you know, I'm very confident in that. But I think 
like the relationship with God is, is the most important and God will lead you in what your stance should be. Not everybody should quit their job. That's, that may not be your thing. You know, not everybody should come out and be like, I'm, I'm just going to say my political beliefs right now and screw all y'all. Not everybody has that path. People that do, you need to step up and do what you're supposed to do according to what God wants you to do in this time. Right. However, there's other people that, that have to do it behind the scenes but can still be effective. Like, you don't have to come out and say, I'm a Republican. Right. But in your lyrics, your lyrics can be educational in, in a certain perspective because there's there's a need for people like me that are radical to a certain degree. They just say whatever I want to say. But then there's a need for people to also be measured in what they say to attract a certain demographic of people that will never hear me because I offend people and they'll never they'll, they'll, they hate me. <laughs> people have to understand what their position is and they need to act on that position based on who they are. And I just say people who are supposed to stand up, you know it. You know, they know who it is. They feel it in their in their soul that God is pushing them to do something greater or do something in a certain direction. They need to do it. And for everybody else, you know, keep going where you're going. You need to be in place. We all need to have um, influence in different directions. Right. I can agree with you more. So it's very interesting. It has to be much more of a measured understanding, measured take for that's uh, according to the individual. Very beautiful. Okay, so my next question is like this, and it's, you know, just something that, to me, it appears like it's out there more. I was just recently interviewed by the New York Post, and, of course, they brought it up, so I'm bringing it up to you. The It feels like, to me, like uh, Black Lives Matter is, like, just being exposed for the sham that it really is, right? So do you see that more black people are waking up to this new reality, or do you think that the majority knew it was a scam, and the media just played the propaganda. For instance, my, yeah, I remember my dad, he sent me a video of, of the neighborhood and it was one of the Black Lives Matter. He said, now look, show me one black person in this. <laughs> and, it was not, and it wasn't nobody in the, in the place that was black. And I'm from Seattle. Now you, you know what's going on in Seattle. And this is real. So, and they're in the hood. They were in the hood. It wasn't like they were in their neighborhood. They were in the hood. And they're marching and whatever else. So I'm like, was this something that the media was just keeping it on the hush that everybody already knew this? Or is it just like... You know, now everybody's just waking up. So liberals play this this really con game, mm. demonic type of perspective to influence, right? They use words that have double meaning. I think a lot of black people don't support Black Lives Matter as an organization. You know, even my father said, I don't support the organization. But the term Black Lives Matter can capture everybody else because you're going to still wear the shirt. You're going to still say the slogan. You still want to believe that Black Lives Matter, although you may not associate with the organization. However, the organization strategically is smart enough that you are actually pushing the organization whether you like it or not. Because as you, the more you say Black Lives Matter, the more they kind of promote that all of these people are pushing for Black Lives Matter. Say Black Lives Matter. It's very different in the organization versus the, the slogan or the, the feeling of Black Lives actually mattering. It's two different things. But they were good in the strategy. It's the same thing with Planned Parenthood. You know, there's no, there's no such thing. They're not planning parenthood. They're planning to end parenthood. You know, but they use a slogan that you, it's hard to argue against. How can you argue against planning parenthood? How can you argue against Black Lives Matter? How can you argue against, you know, some of the, the different things that they, they say with the double meaning? It's like reverse psychology almost. A hundred percent. So most Black people that I know, they ain't really fooling with Black Lives Matter like that. And they don't even really follow that. They just saying that Black Lives Matter, meaning that, that you need to focus on caring about the Black lives in this country. However, I do think majority of Black people are mm -hmm. brainwashed to a certain degree as to what does this really mean and what do we do about it? Because Black Lives Matter 
should not be focused primarily on officer-involved situations when you have 7,000 Black people getting killed by other Black people every single year, including children. And so I wish that we would say, okay, Black lives matter, but let's focus on where Black lives actually matter. Educational system, abortions, Black fathers, these toxic single moms, um, all of these things that that are plaguing the inner city communities and and plaguing the Black community. This culture that have been promoting and celebrating Mm -hmm. violence and thugs and the lowest common denominator. We need the Black Lives Matter to focus on that. We'll get to this police matter on a later date because you're talking one or two a year that people really think are questionable. The rest of them are justified. But it's one or two a year that's kind of questionable. Out of 40 million black people, you got two situations that are questionable, you know, we, we, we should probably focus our energy on other things. That, that's crazy. So the whole thing for me that made me frustrated was that I have like maybe a handful of friends that that I know that grew up in the same neighborhood as me. And I always had a father figure. I had my biological father. My parents split when I was two. Uh, my mother later remarried, got with my, my stepfather, who I don't even disrespect to call his stepfather. He was a dad for me, for sure. We grew up dysfunctional. It was hood. You know, I didn't have to grow up in the streets. The streets grew up in my house. I was exposed to a lot. I was, I was smoking weed at nine years old already. I was already dealing by the time I was 12. I was acting a nut. Even with all that, I still say still having that father figure inside the house for me made a drastic difference between me and the friends who did not have a father in the house. What frustrates me even more is that I have friends who did grow up with a father in the house, working father, and parents had, you know, what I could see, a very beautiful relationship, and they had a very good upbringing. And and the result of that has been they're married with children. Most of these guys, they're homeowners. They have great jobs. And I've seen these guys on the streets with Black Lives Matter signs, you know what I mean, and acting a nut. And I'm just like, I can't even, this don't even go together. Like, you can't even pretend to act like you knew about the struggle. You were at home when the streetlights came on. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't even understand this. How did these guys end up being convinced? You know, I think it's spiritual, man. I, a lot of times I think it's spiritual because I don't know what had a hold on me when I was younger without much influence. You know, I'm not necessarily right. subconsciously being portrayed on the TV and I just didn't know it, but it's not like my dad and them were voting. It's not like people in my community were really into politics. How did that how did that that seep so deep in me of this animosity right. against white people and all of these things? And when that when that wasn't actually preached every single day to me, I don't know how it got interjected in my spirit, mm. but it was, and, and God broke me from that when I got saved. So mm. I think a lot of this stuff is, is spiritual, man. Like I had my dad, my mom and dad split when we were really young. Mm. I think they broke up before I was born or whatever. <laughs> I, I never remember them being together. They couldn't stand each other. And my dad actually got remarried, and then my stepmom was in our lives ever since we were we were young kids. I mean, they've wow. been married for 25, some 26 years. So I had a similar situation like that. I got exposed to people who were selling drugs. You know, my stepdad was a big time drug dealer, gang banger, and he mm-hmm. ended up dying from ODing on heroin. So I got exposed to things. <laughs> I got arrested when I was eight smoking marijuana. I never sold drugs, but like all of my family sold drugs. Few of my family doing life in prison. My mom right. and tried to do better for us, but we still had the hood family. We go over there for the weekend. We fighting in the backyard. We gang banging. I got jumped into a five dudes who were crip gang. Me and my brother on the couch, my cousin them put right. the flags and beat us up on the couch, you know, jumped us in the gang and all this stuff. So I've had those experiences. However, because my father was mm-hmm. there, I had access to him. I, we, we, we went and lived with him at times, you know, where we, me and my brother just lived with him in, in middle school, high school. And, you know, we had our times where we lived with him. The impact, the accountability. You know, my, when, I, when I went to juvie at eight, you know, I didn't do no time. They took us to the holding cell. And my daddy showed up, man. And I'm telling you, I was more afraid of my dad than, than going to jail, than police. I just knew my dad was going to beat me like never before. 
And he, en- he ended up not beating me, which I was, which to this day, I'm like, thank God. That's even worse. Oh, yeah, because he, he came in there and he said he's going to kill us when he came in there. And I was like, y'all better leave us in here. I'd rather do some time than go and face my dad. <laughs> but he struck me where it mattered the most, you know, because I wanted to be an NBA player. So he was like, you know, you keep doing, you live a life like that. You would never play in the NBA. And they're like, that just, that, that did something to me. Because, you know, the whooping, it hurt. And then you probably cry, go to sleep, wake up, and then it's over. And then they like, I do this because I love you, you know, and then you forget about it. But, you know, that telling me that I'm not going to accomplish my dream that I'm so passionate about really affected me. But having him there, seeing my father, my legacy, what I can become, who I should be, I could never go too far out of bounds because my daddy will show up and show out at the school. You know what I'm saying? You get a whooping at the school. And so having my father there kept me on a pace where it was almost like planting a seed that that seed is already in me. And at some point it'll mature to me becoming the man that I should be. And I know a lot of people. And even when I was a cop, every single youth that I arrested did not have a dad, not one of them do in my six and a half years as a police officer, not one youth had a dad. And it is incredibly invaluable to have a father in your life, whether he live in your house or whether he down the street and you get to visit him on the weekends, you have to have your father in your life, especially as young men. Wow. Powerful. So now that, you know, things have changed, you've progressed as a, I don't know if I would call you just a commentator on, on political issues, social issues. You're just a force, right? Is there anything that you would say that, that you may have changed your mind on? Are there things that you may, may have done a 180 on? Um, I, I don't, I don't, man, I, to be honest, I don't think it's anything that I've done a 180 on, not that I know of, because I felt like when I started speaking out, I started speaking out from my conservative perspective, right. you know, and it just kept growing from there. I may, Maybe marijuana. I think marijuana I changed on, but I don't know if I was vocal about how I felt about marijuana before I started speaking out, right. which means, but like overall, I think I changed my tune on marijuana after I was a police officer. And realizing that medical marijuana was invaluable in, in many people's lives and it was way more effective than pharmaceutical drugs that they pump into your body and give you 20 of them because <laughs> one has a side effect that the other one needs you to take it. Right. And so I changed my tune on that because I was just really so against marijuana and feeling like it should be banned and nobody should use it. And I started thinking like, you know what, I've, I'm seeing the effects of that. I see the effects of CBD um, outside of the, the THC that's in the marijuana that make you high or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I kind of changed my tune on that. But like most of the other stuff, like, it's always been the same because, you know, when I spoke out, I was a Christian. So, you know, same-sex marriage and all this other stuff, like, I always have the exact same opinion about all of it. That's amazing. So my last but not least question, because I could talk to you for, like, 10 years. This conversation could go on forever, <laughs> you know? I know, man. And <laughs> uh, no, I just feel, I feel a connection, man. I feel a connection. Something that you seem to value at least that you that you're trying to get at is is unity. Ultimately, you want unity. It's not like you're just trying to fight just because. And some things you may not be able to bring a unifying solution to. So, what do you think is the important step to be able to bring America back to what it was and bring America back together? Yeah, I mean, great question. My my unifying message is not unifying just for the sake of unifying. It's unifying under truth. And that's why I say the things that I say, because I feel like we can be unified if we are all following the truth. 
Because if you live in a world where you're like, this is your truth and my truth, we'll never be unified because people's truth to be whatever they feel like today when they wake up and eat breakfast. But if we follow the truth, meaning that know the history of the Democrat Party before you speak on it, know the history of certain these certain politicians, understand, you know, what communism and socialism is, understand the, the, the grift that's going on in some of these political candidates and and how they're, they're pimping out the black community and stuff like that. Know it. And we can unite under that. Understand the value and the beauty of the United States of America. Understand what that flag represents. It don't just represent white people. It represents the struggle that we all have gone through to get to this point. Martin Luther King is a part of that flag. You know, all the other great men that, that existed before us, whether white, black, Asian, or whatever, that have accomplished so much in this country are represented in that flag. So that's my message. It's a little hard to hear. You know, similar to how we think the message from God through the prophets, it didn't. We, people don't want to hear it. It may hurt your feelings, but the unity, even in faith, is the unity of truth from what God has said. And 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 I know that um, you and I may think a little different. I, we're probably more similar than than what people may imagine. But you know, because right. I believe that Jesus was a Jew. You know, I, I don't. You know, I, people misconstrue who Jesus was all the time. You may, you may be correct about that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I believe I believe he was a Jew, whether whether or not people believe it or not. And and I feel like that we should be, you know, the Christians somehow have gone off, in my opinion, to more of a pagan ideology, modern Christians. But right, right. But there was a message through the prophets that was prophesied on, on God's message. You know, Moses gave a message, you know, you got you got Isaiah, all of these prophets. So the unity is unifying within the truth of God. And then that's, we can unify that way. You're not going to be able to unify just because we, we live in the same kingdom or, or, or that we're, we're all calling ourselves Jews. You're not good. That's not unity just because you say you're a Jew. The unity is in the truth of God. So right. that's kind of what I do. You know, the ranting is just because I'm passionate. And so that passion and zeal and, and, and relatability kind of comes out when I'm passionate. When I speak in public, I'm not normally like that. You know, I'm a little more more calm. When I do my videos, it's because, man, I'm like, I'm passionate about this. I'm going to talk about this. And that knee-jerk reaction that people feel is going to cause them to make a decision. They either are big mad at what I'm saying, or they like, this is what I want to hear. However, you're going to have to make a decision if you listen to my content. You're not going to get eased into it. It's going to be a slap in the face. And you're going to either respond by saying, okay, I deserve that. Are you going to try to fight back? So that's kind of that's kind of the way I do my material. I do want us to be unified. And I think we would if it wasn't for propaganda and you know ungodliness in our in our nation and stuff like that. Right, right, right. No doubt about it, man. Well, listen, I appreciate having you on. I wish you success in every single thing that you do, everything you touch. God should bless it. Uh, even I know you got this case situation, you and Corn with uh, Mr. Williams over there. You should be, you should be matzliach, as we call it. You should be successful. And uh, every, every barrier in its way should fall down before you. So I'm wishing you nothing. I'm rooting for you. And uh, keep going. Keep going, please. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you, brother, for having me on. All right, brother. All right. Have a good one. Wow, wow, wow. That was an amazing conversation with Officer Tatum. And, uh, I mean, you see why. I mean, I really feel like he's a soul brother. Like, we just, like, 
were connected somehow in the past. I mean, even after that, we had a conversation. We went on probably well beyond both of our time. You know, we couldn't stop talking and so many different similarities in the way that we grew up and, and even the location of, of people that we know and everything like that. So it was an amazing conversation. And this is huge because the world has to run on dialogue. There has to be conversation about very, very tough things and things that may not you know, rub you the right way. But that's when you know that you've experienced growth, when you hear things that may not rub you the right way. And growing up myself as an African-American, a black kid, growing up in the hood, there's a lot of things that will be swept under the rug if you don't wake up and pay attention to them. So I think, you know, it was big for us and big for everybody else who's been observing everything that's been going on socially in America over the last year, year and a half, almost two years now. It's a brand new world. So with that, I want to leave you with my brand new song, which is a wonderful song I was able to do with Shia Maisel called Hope. And this song, Hope, is really the result of a lot of prayers and talking to God and just fighting and, and grappling, trying to be in that place that he wants me to be, you know? And so this song means a lot to me, just like this conversation meant a lot to me. So I'm playing it for all of you. And until next time, only go from strength to strength and be strengthened. Like I don't care Thank you so much for listening to The Deal with me, Nisim Black. This is a Soul Shop original podcast. Our executive producer is Josh Cross. Our producer is Gilad Brownstein. Please follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at The Deal with NB. And subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast content. Please share this with your friends so that they can get this raw and riveting stuff from me, yours truly. God's name.